Two weeks ago, I posed the question, what do answers to prayer depend on? And promised that I would continue that topic today. The first answer that I gave in answer to the question, what do answers to prayer depend on, was that they depend fundamentally, most importantly, on the death of Jesus Christ for our sins. The reason that a holy and just God is free to bless us human beings with answer to prayer, though we are sinners and deserve only condemnation, is that Jesus Christ died for our sins and turned away the wrath of God from us. Everything beneficial that comes to us fallen creatures was purchased at Calvary. And therefore, all answers to prayer, whether large or small, are gifts of mercy which we do not earn. We cannot purchase our answers to prayer by anything we do or say They have already been purchased for us at Calvary. All we can do is plead the overflow of mercy. That was the first answer. It's fundamental. If we don't grasp that, then everything else we say will be misunderstood and probably won't even be distinctively Christian because all religions have prayer. But the second answer was, in order to have our prayers answered we must be obedient children of our Heavenly Father. And I argued from numerous Old Testament and New Testament texts that it would be a disgrace to our Father's Word and it would be harmful to us if God were to go on giving us whatever we asked Him even when we were going on in a rebellious or sinful frame of mind. And therefore, obedience is a prerequisite for regular answers to prayer. But I stressed that this does not mean that sinless perfection is required in order to have our prayers answered. And the way that that's easy to demonstrate from Scripture is that Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our sins, which would be a self-contradiction if in fact we had to commit no sin in order to have answers to prayer. You can see that clearly. There is a difference between a perfect child and a characteristically obedient child who nevertheless is not perfect. We must not ever presume to think that we can get God to give us whatever we want no matter how we act or whether our hearts are in tune with His or not. That was the message of two weeks ago. And now today, I want to give two final answers to the question, what do answers to prayer depend on? And the text from which I have gotten these insights is Mark 11, verses 22 to 25. This has been a very, very hard sermon for me to write. The hardest one in the six months or so that I've been here. And the reason, I think, is that um, 
the texts on prayer in Jesus' teachings are stated in such absolute terms they do not seem to cohere with our experience. And I don't know what to make of them. But I tried to take the hardest one I could find, the most absolute promise that Jesus ever made about prayer, to see whether I could handle it. And that's Mark 11, 22 to 25. And I've tried to handle it, but much of what I have to say was basically a discovery of this week. It is not proven, all of it, over years of experience, and therefore you may want to, you may want to qualify it from your study and your experience. But I feel like I can stand behind it now and say, Thus saith the Lord. Let's read the text. Jesus answered then, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you received it, and it will be yours. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Pretty powerful words, right? Is that your experience? Two words in this text beg for clarification and those are what I want to focus on. That will be the two halves of the message. The word whatever in verse 24 whatever you ask, and the word believe in verses 23 and 24. When Jesus says, whatever you ask, does he really mean you can ask for absolutely anything? Do not answers to prayer depend on what we ask for as well as how? And when Jesus says that we must not doubt Verse 23, but believe that what we say will come to pass. Does he mean that in order to have our prayers answered, we must have undoubting faith that the very thing we're asking for will, without a doubt, come to pass? Those are the two questions I want to try to answer. Let's look at the word whatever, first of all. In verse 24, Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. It sounds so absolute, so all-inclusive. But there are three reasons why I cannot take whatever to mean absolutely anything. One reason has to do with the nature of language. Another reason has to do with texts found elsewhere in the New Testament. And a third reason has to do with the immediate context right here, which I think forbids it. Let's take those in order. The nature of language is this. The meaning of words is determined by usage, not by anything inherent in words themselves. The general meaning that words have in our culture is determined by how they are used by the most people in the culture. And specific meanings 
in specific texts or conversations is determined by specific contexts and specific authors or speakers. And we can give words peculiar meanings by putting them in peculiar contexts. I used to illustrate this back at Bethel by walking into a classroom and saying, Okay, is everybody here? And somebody would say, Yes. And I would say something irritating like, Well, where's Jimmy Carter? And they would get irritated and laugh. And and then the point would be made that the word everybody means what we want it to mean in the given context, right? It doesn't always mean absolutely everybody in the world or in the country. It gets its meaning inclusive or limited from the way we use it. And that's possible with the word whatever in verse 24. It may not be absolute or all-inclusive. If you're invited out to eat, you sit down at somebody's table, they start putting courses before you, and uh, they wonder whether you'll like something, and they'll say, you don't have to eat each of these, just whatever you like, and, and you'll say, I'll eat whatever you bring me. They won't bring you a pencil or an old straw basket or a, a shoe. They know exactly what you mean, right? So the nature of language is such that we've got to be careful and let, let the immediate context guide how inclusive we force a word to be. Don't let any hard-nosed, wooden literalist pound his fist and say, it says whatever, it means whatever. Well, yes, it means whatever, but what does whatever mean in this context? That's the question. Second argument. There are texts elsewhere in the New Testament which make it very hard for me to think Jesus means that we can ask for absolutely anything. I'll give you two of them. James 4, verses 2 and 3. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Now, if James is right, then Mark 11:24 has to be limited, has to be qualified. You won't get whatever you ask for, no matter how much you believe for it, if you ask wrongly, if you ask selfishly, if the thing you ask for is just to spend on your own private satisfaction. Prayers, just like all other things in the Christian life, are to be acts of love. And to be acts of love, they must take into account the benefit that will accrue to others and not just to ourselves. No prayer should be merely for you alone. I prayed for health a lot this week. But not just for me alone. I wanted to preach. (laughs) And I'm going to make it, I think. The the second text is 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. Now, this is very important. This will run through everything else I have to say. 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence which we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will... He hears us. 
if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have obtained the requests made of Him. Now, this is an especially helpful verse, not only because it says your prayers must be according to God's will, but because the next verse uses that word whatever, and if you isolate it out, verse 15, all by itself, it would sound just as absolute as Mark 11:24. If we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have obtained our request. But it can't mean absolutely anything because the immediately preceding verse just said... Anything according to His will. And therefore, I think it's very probable, if you believe in the unity of Scripture, that Jesus meant something like that too, though He didn't express the phrase according to God's will. Let's look now at the immediate context of Mark 11:24 because there are people who don't believe in the unity of scripture. They would say, "Okay, that's what James and John think, but Jesus taught different, and I believe Jesus did Jesus teach different." I believe there's evidence in this context right here that shows whatever must be limited. And the limitation is clearly implied in verse 25, the next verse. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. This verse demands that we limit whatever so that it does not include prayers for revenge, doesn't it? Whatever you ask cannot include a request that God take vengeance on your enemy because the next verse says, when you stand praying, forgive your enemy. And with one fell swoop, Jesus limits what whatever means. Now, he doesn't tell us every limitation that it has, but he gives us one clear one. When I said whatever, I didn't mean prayers for vengeance. You remember how James and John once tried to pray like that? Lord, shall we call down fire on these Samaritans? Jesus looks at him. You don't know what spirit you're of. No, you can't pray like that. You can't ask things like that from your father if you're my disciple. So, I think that it's fair to say from that clue that Jesus gives us that whatever at least excludes vengeance, and that therefore there is no necessary contradiction at all between James and John over here and Jesus over here. Both of them, all of them, agree that God does not promise that we will be given absolutely everything that we ask for, no matter how much we believe that we will. Lots of people can screw up all kinds of confidence that what they're asking for is going to come to pass, but if it does not accord with God's will, it won't. Therefore, in answer to our old question, what do answers to prayer depend on? I would say they depend on asking for the right things. 
And John 5.14 is probably the most explicit and helpful text as to what are the right things. The right things are what accords with God's will. So I think when Jesus said, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours, he meant whatever you ask in prayer according to God's will, believe that you have received it and you will. Now we'll come back in a moment to what that will is in more particular detail. But let's turn now to this second word, believe, in verses 23 and 24. Believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Or as verse 23 says, whoever does not doubt in his heart but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Now for me, as I pondered that, the crucial question was, How is undoubting faith possible? And the only answer that I could come up with is that such undoubting faith is only possible if we know what God intends to do in response to faith. Or to put it another way, we can have undoubting faith only if we know what God's will is in a particular situation. How can you keep from doubting if you don't know what God intends to do? How can anyone have assurance that the answer to his prayer will come to pass if he is not first assured of what God is intending to do in that particular situation? There has to be a basis for faith. What can the basis be? Unless we know what God intends to do. Otherwise, there will have to be doubts or uncertainty. I've had the flu all week. And, and I have not been able to pray with certainty, without doubts, that God would heal me this week so that I could preach. And the reason is because I do not know the will of God for my health. I do not know whether he might want me to stay sick for two weeks that I might learn not to rely on myself but on the God who raises the dead. I don't know. So how can I not have doubts? It's impossible as far as I can see. And since I don't know what God intends to do, I can't have complete confidence for the particular request to be raised up in time to preach. I had to affix this at the end of all my prayers for healing. Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. Now, I hope by stressing this to alleviate a lot of unnecessary guilt in our praying in our prayer life, how often we berate ourselves that we cannot ask for certain things with complete confidence. And we lacerate ourselves. If I could only be sure, if I could only have more confidence that what I'm asking for will come to pass, then it would come to pass. But if you don't know what God intends to do, how can you have confidence that He'll do it? 
Whenever we are forced to say, yet not my will but thine be done, we are admitting that we have no certainty about whether our specific request is going to be granted or not. There's no reason to feel guilty about that because faith is only possible, that is, undoubting faith is only possible when we know what God is intending to do in response to that faith. So, the question, of course, now that burns itself upon us is, how can we know? How can we know what God wills to do in various situations? And here I only know two answers. One He has told us many of the things he intends to do in the Scripture. And therefore, we should take ourselves to the Scripture and learn. And the other answer is, where the Scripture is silent, he might grant you to know by some private, personal revelation. Now, what I mean by that second way of knowing what God intends to do is that there are many things like a specific healing in which the scripture gives no definite promise. There is no promise in scripture that any healing will take place in any given amount of time. I don't know of one. But he might communicate to you that he intends to heal somebody. Now, I say this with some hesitancy because I have never experienced that in my life. God has never communicated to me anything of what he intends to do except through the scriptures. But I can see no biblical reason why he shouldn't. And therefore, I leave open the possibility that he might to me someday, and he might have to you already. And that in such cases, undoubting faith for a particular is possible. But the more usual way we discover what God wills to do is in the Scripture. And there are four teachings of Scripture that I find so tremendously encouraging for prayer that I want to mention what they are and why I think we can have undoubting faith in these things when we pray for them. First, we learn from Scripture that God promises to save all who call upon Him. Romans 10.13 Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Therefore, we need have no doubts what God intends to do when we call upon him in prayer for salvation. Our prayer to him for salvation should be just like Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty four: Believe that you have received it and it's yours. We have it on the authority of God's word that a prayer for salvation need have no doubts attending to it. God will answer it. Second, the scripture teaches 
And we can pray absolutely confidently for the fact that God intends to sanctify every person whom he saves or who has been redeemed. That is, if we are calling upon God for salvation and we have received it by faith, then we can be absolutely sure that he will answer our prayers to sanctify us. Sanctification is that process by which God is making us into the image of Christ, making us holy, taking out all the unlove and filling us with love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and gentleness and meekness and self-control. That process that we're going through. And Hebrews 12:14 says, Strive for that peace with all men and for the holiness of without which no one will see the Lord. There is a holiness which we must have in order to see the Lord. But since we know that God the Father intends for none of His children to be plucked out of His hand, and that He for sure will bring them to salvation to see the Lord, therefore we can be absolutely sure that He will always see to it that the children in His hands will be sanctified since sanctification is necessary for salvation. Romans 6.22 says, Now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the return you get is sanctification and its end eternal life. Sanctification is a necessary stage on the road to eternal life. And therefore, God intends to sanctify us just as surely as he intends to give us eternal life. If you have assurance of eternal life, you can pray with undoubting faith for sanctification, and you will have it. Third, the scripture teaches that if we seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added meaning all the necessities of life. Or, as Paul put it in Philippians 4.19, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, of course, need is a relative thing we've learned, haven't we? Need depends on what your goals are in life. If your goal is to get to New Orleans by 5 o'clock this afternoon, you need a jet. If your goal is to run a marathon, you need to run some long distances every day. You see how need is always connected with a goal. So the question we have to ask here at Philippians 4.19 is, what is Paul's goal in life? Or what's his goal for Christians so that we just don't go chalking up anything, say, I need my eighth suit of the season or something like that. Um, wouldn't it be fair to say, without going into a long theological defense, that, that Paul's goal uh, for his life and for the believers there at Philippi, is that they do God's will. 
so that what he means when he says, my God will supply every need of yours, he means you will always have enough of the necessities of life to keep on doing the will of God and glorify him. That's what I think Paul means. I think that's what Jesus means, which means, by the way, that this text does not guarantee individual prosperity. In fact, just a few verses earlier in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, Paul said, I've learned to be content in whatever state I am. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. I've learned the secret of facing abundance and want. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can hunger through him who strengthens me. I can lack through him who strengthens me. Kind of puts a new slant on he will supply all your needs in Christ Jesus, doesn't it? He will supply everything you need to keep on doing his will and to keep on glorifying him. And therefore, I think we can pray when we pray like that with absolute assurance, undoubting faith that God will meet our needs in that sense. Now I want to look at one more biblical teaching, which I think is the most important and which, if you understand it correctly, will enable you to pray every prayer you pray with undoubting faith. So listen carefully. The teaching is Romans 8, 28. In everything, God works for good with those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. This is the greatest, most far-reaching promise in the Bible. Everybody knows it. It's most of your favorite verse. It's, It's the most important verse in my whole theology, probably. God works everything together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Have you ever thought the impact that it has on praying? The implication for prayer seems to be this. It means that when our specific requests are denied, the only reason can be that he's preparing something better. If Romans 8.28 is true, a denied request must mean that he is nevertheless working for our good. God is always working for the best interests of his children. He never lets up. Therefore, in every prayer, in absolutely every prayer we pray, we can have complete and undoubting faith, at least in this. God will give me what's best for me in response to my prayer. Hebrews 11, verse 6, is an amazing statement. It says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The faith which pleases God in prayer has to be confident of two things. You've got to be confident of two things. One, you're not praying to air. He's there. Most of us are confident of that. 
But did you ever think about that second one? You've got to be confident he's going to reward you. He is going to bless you. No qualifications, I don't think. He may not answer the specific requests, but he is going to reward you if you believe that he is. That's simply another way of saying Romans 8, 28, it seems to me. God is the rewarder of those who seek him. Now, many of our prayers from day to day are for things, particular things, that we just don't know if they're God's will or not. Like getting well at a certain time. Or... Uh, getting to sleep or making the baby cry, not cry. <laughs> or getting a new job or whatever. We pray for those things. But after we pray them, I anyway, always whisper, nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. If Jesus could say it, who am I not to say it? But when I say it, I believe without any doubt on the basis of Romans 8:28 that if he denies my specific request it's only because he's preparing something better and that too is a kind of answer to prayer and i believe that fits so well with Matthew 7:9 to 11 you know the verse what man of you if if he has a son who asks him for bread will give him a stone or if the son asks him for fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more then will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? That's what we can always count on. Always. God will always give good things in response to your prayer. Whether or not it's the specific thing you ask for or not. Now, Abraham is doing just fine, okay? And I'm going to see to it that he's doing just fine for a long time. That's my one-year-old son, for those who don't know. Now, if Abraham is in my arm here in the kitchen and we're standing by the sink and he looks at the dishes that have just been washed and he sees this long, beautiful knife and he says, Dad, Dad, which means give me that knife. And I just rotate him around, set him down on the floor and take a big empty green tang can and pour in clothespins and shake it all up and say, look, you can take them out, you can put them in, isn't that neat? And uh, his eyes get all big and he starts taking them out and putting them in. Have I answered his prayer? Well, we won't play with language. No, I didn't give him the specific request that he asked for. I know better than he. But I did answer his deeper longing, didn't I? He wanted to play with some. He wanted to have a good time. And I made it for him. And that's the way it is with prayer often, isn't it? Day before yesterday, we had just finished our playtime in the evening. It was time for dessert. We were going to have some oatmeal cookies. They were this, this Tupperware thing sitting on the uh, oven there. And we opened it covered with mold. So I said, and their faces fell. And I, I went over to the garbage can, just 
started to dump them all in and Benjamin said, started to cry, don't, I saw one without fuzz on it. I dumped him. I dumped him anyway. He cried. I said, Benjamin, mold starts to grow before you can see the fuzz. And it might make you sick if you eat even the one without the fuzz on it. Let's eat gorp instead, I said. So we had gorp. But Benjamin was sure he got second best. Did Benjamin get second best? I hope not. I made the decision as a father what would be best for Benjamin. And it was gorp and not that unfuzzy oatmeal cookie. I think that's the way prayer is very often. Who are we finite, sinful little children to tell God what's best? We can't do it. And therefore, if he chooses to say no to a specific request, just take it as from a father's loving hand. He knows what's best. Even if you have to see the cookies that look so good, go right down the tubes or into the garbage can. Now, in summary, let me just conclude like this. When Jesus said, Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it. I think he meant, we understand him to mean, whatever, whatever accords with what God wills to do. Undoubting faith, only possible when we know what he intends to do, at least in general. Where do we find out what he intends to do? Perhaps sometimes he will reveal to you, I am going to make her well. I'm going to make him well. I'm going to win him to Christ. And then you can pray with undoubting faith. But usually, that's never happened to me. Usually, we have to learn it from Scripture. And we have learned from Scripture many things of which we can be absolutely certain. You can pray for your salvation with no doubt that it will happen. You can pray for your sanctification with no doubt that it will happen. You can pray that God will meet all the needs you have to do His will with no doubt that it will happen. And you can pray trusting that no matter what your prayer is, God will always give you what's best for you, and you need not doubt it at all.